May you forget the channel seeing only Him this morning. With the power outages, the clock in the back tells me that it is 11.20. I'm going to take that as the truth. Let's pray together. Father, as we uh, prepare to open Your Word to break it um, in Your people's presence, may Your Word uh, fill our hearts. May uh, Your Word uh, be used by Your Spirit to cause us to grow strong in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in His name. Amen. Uh, Again, I am going to uh, read the text of Scripture as we go. And so, if you would open your uh, Bibles, not to Genesis 21, but rather to Genesis 22. Genesis 22, verses 1 through 24. And I will read the Scriptures as we uh, come to it. Um, So breaking a little bit with my practice. Make no mistake about it. God indeed tests His children. Sometimes it might be with a trial that is is, uh, short in its duration. Um... Other times, He might test His children with trials that last a month, maybe even several months, even years and decades. Sometimes God tests His children with trials that are light. Other times, He tests His children with trials that are very severe, that test His children even to the limits of their souls. An example of a light trial would be John chapter 6. You don't need to turn there. But this is where uh, Jesus tested Philip. In John chapter 6, the Scripture reads, And a large crowd was following Jesus because they saw the signs that He was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on a mountain and there He sat down with His disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up His eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward Him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Verse 6 is key here. He said this, to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not, buy, would not be enough for each of them to get a little. And so this small, little, momentary trial, this test that Jesus put Philip under, uh, where are we going to find enough bread to feed all these people that are coming to us? Philip basically said, I don't know. It's impossible. We don't have enough money. Philip failed the test. Another example of a trial, this one much more severe, is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Again, you don't need to turn there. Uh, We're not aware of the specific circumstances here, 
But the trial was so severe that Paul and his traveling companions despaired even of life itself. And so we read in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that it, but that it was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Of course, if you want to know what some of these trials were, you could uh, turn later into 2 Corinthians chapter 11 uh, and see Paul's suffering, see some of the trials that he did indeed experience in, in Asia. They were severe. Uh, and it's understandable that he would despair even of life itself. And did you hear? He was so certain he was going to die. He put his trust in God who raises the dead. In both of these trials, this relatively small one in John chapter 6, or this very severe ongoing trial that Paul and his companions suffered under, both of them have the same path to victory. The path to victory. The path to victory in any trial is by trusting in our sovereign God who loves us. In our passage this morning, Abraham was tested. And this, this test, this trial, far surpasses anything that Paul had to undergo. Um, in fact, I'd rather go through 10,000 trials that would cause me to despair of life itself than go through even just one time the trial that Abraham went through here in our text this morning, here in Genesis 22. And so if you will look with me at the Scriptures as I read verses 1-6. through six. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And he said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come to you again. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took it in his hand, he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. I cannot imagine being faced with anything more difficult. I cannot imagine uh, being, being asked to do something like this. And I'm certain the same was true for Abraham. I'm sure that there was nothing that Abraham treasured more in this life than his own son. 
And God knew how much Abraham treasured his son. Listen to verse 2 again. God said to Abraham, Take your son. But he didn't stop there. Your only son, Isaac. And then he didn't stop there. Whom you love. God knew that Abraham treasured Isaac. What would you do if God gave you a command that was as costly as this? Look at how Abraham responded here in verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. He rose early in the morning. And the hour of the day is, is not specified here. I think if I was Abraham and I was given this command by God, I think I would have slept in. Uh, I think I would have dragged my feet to start the journey. But here's Abraham. He rose early in the morning to saddle his donkey and get prepared for the journey so that he could leave at the first possible moment. That's staggering to me. What would be going through Abraham's mind that he would obey so quickly? I think, first of all, Abraham had learned the hard way uh, about how just important it was to obey God when you're in the middle of a trial. You know, he had failed several times before. Uh, even last week we saw how he again uh, basically had his wife go be part of Abimelech's harem. Failed that trial. But he's learning by God's grace as God is faithful to him even though he has sinned. And so, I think first of all, he's learned the hard way uh, how, to, how, how to trust God. But then there's something else. In fact, the, the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, gives us a little bit of background and tells us what may have been going, or what was going through Abraham's mind. In Hebrews 11, uh, verses 17 through 19, it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in fact in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac your offspring uh, will be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. And I was also thinking, what was Abraham going to do after he made this journey, after he offered his, his son uh, Isaac, and then had to come back and tell Sarah what he had done? You know, I, I'm presuming that Abraham did not tell her what God had told him to do. But in his mind, because he is, he is hanging on to God by faith, He's reasoned by faith. And here's his reasoning. Uh, God had promised to give Abraham many descendants through his son Isaac. And yet God has told Abraham, go and sacrifice your son Isaac. And so 
reasoning driven by faith leads Abraham to conclude, God will raise my son Isaac from the dead. Um, and so that was his reasoning. That was his trusting God. Uh, this shows us that part of the reason why God tested Abraham was to see the quality of his faith. When God puts you to, uh, to, a, to the test, what does He find in you? Does He find a, uh, a response of faith? Does He find reasoning that is driven by faith? Or does He find anger? Worry, escape, self-centeredness, a pity party. There's only two responses to a trial. Trusting God or sin. How do you respond to trials? God also tested Abraham to test the quality of his fear of God. Was God Abraham's Lord? And we know this is part of a test because of verse 12. So if you look at verse 12, the Scripture reads, uh, he, did, he did not, uh, I'm sorry, He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from Me. True faith manifests itself in wholehearted obedience to God. John chapter 12, I'm sorry, John chapter 14 verse 15. Jesus says, "If you love me, you will obey my commands." What is the quality of your fear of God? Is God your Lord? Is Christ, do you love Christ? Are you obeying his commands? Another reason God tested Abraham was to test his love for God. God knew that Abraham loved Isaac. But did Abraham love Isaac so much that he that Isaac took the first place in Abraham's life and in his heart? In other words, God wanted to know had Isaac become an idol in Abraham's heart. God will not take uh, second place to anything or to anyone. An idol is anything that is more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and your imagination more than God. Anything that you seek to give yourself to um, more than God. Anything that takes the place of what only God can give. Tim Keller has a little test to know whether you have an idol in your heart. And also this test helps you identify what that idol is. Uh, Tim Keller says, Everybody has something that if they lose it, they won't even want to live anymore. And that is what you are worshiping. What is that something? that has first place in your life outside of God. Everybody has that something that is either in first place ahead of God or is daily competing 
for first place. Calvin says that the human heart is an idol-producing factory. And this is why God tests us. He's intent on purifying our faith. God knows that our idolatry stunts our growth in Jesus Christ. And so in John chapter 15, listen to what Jesus says in John 15 verses 1 through 5. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And then this is my favorite verse in all of Scripture. John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The idols in our lives are like overgrown branches uh, in our lives. Uh, they've extended too far from, from, the, from the, um, the trunk of the tree and from the root system. They're too weak because they're too far extended. They're too weak to bear fruit. And they only serve to sap the strength away from the rest of the tree. And so what God does, being the vine dresser, He sends trials into our lives. And these trials act as pruning shears to lop off the unhealthy growth and to make us more fruitful. This is common for every believer. Do not be discouraged that you are suffering under trials. This is how, this is how God lovingly makes you more fruitful. This is how God lovingly makes you more like Jesus Christ. You know Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, God is a loving Father. And every child He loves, He disciplines. I think many Christians remain stunted in their growth because they spend all their, their energy, energy trying to escape the trials rather than to escape their idolatry. Uh, the purpose of the trials is to lop off your idolatry. Um, so, repent of your idolatry. Take it to God continually. Ask Him to lop it off. Pray the prayer that David prayed in Psalm 139. Uh, Test me, O God, and know my secret thoughts. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting, David prayed. Take it to God. He'll lop it off. But because we're sinners, because we are idol-producing factories, sadly those idols will grow out, grow back again, and we'll have to take it to God again. And He'll lop it off again. And it will continue over and over. But as He lops off the idols and uh, gives us new growth, fruitful growth, the fruit and the strength begins to overtake 
And it may be a small, a slow process, but that fruitfulness, fruit of the Spirit, begins to overtake um, the the idolatry, little bit by little bit by little bit. I love what Spurgeon said. He said, "Give up your Isaac, and Isaac shall not need to be given up. But if you will save your life, you will lose it. If you hang on to your idols for dear life." And God is going to need to be more radical in the pruning. God is faithful. He wants to make us. And He is in the business of making us more like Jesus Christ. So Christian, don't waste your trials. Christian, don't waste your suffering. May your suffering, may your trials be God's pruning shears to make you more holy to make you more like Jesus Christ. Let me add what I, to what I've already said about trials. Trusting in God in the middle of, trial, of when you're in a trial is your duty. It is not optional. You may not try and escape your trials. You may not try and ignore your trials. Uh, rather, you must by faith, trust in God. However impossible it may seem, like Jesus said to Philip, let's go, go feed these 5,000 people. That was impossible. But God, but, but Jesus expected Philip to, by faith, reason that they were going to be able to do it. That was painful. I mean, that was impossible or painful. Paul was in such pain that he was despairing even of life. How that was how severe the trials were. Yet instead of asking God to remove it, instead of God begging God to deliver him, he simply placed his trust in God who raises the dead however impossible, however painful the trial may be, don't ignore it. Don't try and escape it. I think many Christians lack growth in their lives because they've become experts at dealing with trials in their own strength, dealing with trials on their own terms, rather than wholeheartedly, simply trusting in God. Do not think that God leaves you in the middle of a trial all on your own and expects you to have the stamina uh, to, per- to persevere or the power to obey God all on your own. God sends you into the trial. God walks with you through the trial. Uh, and He is the one, He is the only one who is truly able to deliver you from the trial. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation, uh, Paul writes, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will always provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. And so that's what we find happening here in our text. Look with me at verses 7 through 14. And Isaac said to his father, Uh, Abraham, my father, 
He said, Here, here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they both of them, they went on both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood on in order I'm sorry, and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Can you imagine how difficult it would be to answer Isaac's uh, question when Isaac was asking, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham simply said, God will provide. Isaac found out in verse 9 that he was the offering. And it's interesting that we don't get any of the discussion here between Abraham and Isaac when Isaac finds out that he is the uh, the lamb that is going to be slain. Um, it, it seems as if, from the text, because there's no discussion, it seems as if Isaac willingly offered himself in obedience to his father. Surely this prefigures the Lord Jesus who was bound and nailed to the wood on the hill of Golgotha. Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife. He raised the knife to slaughter his son. But before he was able to bring the knife down on Isaac's neck, the angel of the Lord called out to him here in verse 12. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For I now know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. When Abraham looked up, he saw this ram caught in the thicket. In other words, God indeed did provide. Therefore, Abraham named the place Jehovah-Jireh. Yahweh will provide. God delights to meet His children's needs. And our deepest needs all stem from our condition as sinners. We need righteousness. We need forgiveness. We need regeneration. We need grace. We need mercy. We need sanctification. We need a relationship with God. We need deliverance from our idols. And we could go on and on. And for us, God has provided. God so loved the world that He provided His Son to be the Lamb as our substitute. God provided a ram so that Isaac could go free. 
God provided His Son that we might go free from our sins. But when Christ was laid upon the wood of the cross and God raised up His knife of justice, He did not relent. He did not halt. Rather, He brought the knife down completely into Jesus Christ. Christ was offered as a sacrificial lamb in our place. He brought that knife down upon, with the full force of His justice upon the neck of Jesus. There was no other way for His justice to be vindicated and we be forgiven of our sins. Christ, indeed, is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And can I say reverently that it was as painful for God to raise that knife and to bring it down as it was for Abraham when he raised that knife to slaughter his son. Can I say that the father suffered anguish as he brought the knife down in justice because of our sins? I think I can. I'm reminded of Romans chapter 8, verse 32 in this connection. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? He did not spare His own Son for us. Therefore, He will surely provide for us. God indeed is Jehovah Jireh. For those of you who are intent above all things to avoid trials, let me ask you if your personal pleasure or if your freedom from pain or if your self-centered pity party is enough to make you be angry or try and escape the trial, let me ask you, what are you going to do on the day of judgment when you stand before God? What will you do if your intent is on escaping God's, what God's doing? Also, let me remind you from the text here in verses 15 through 19 that God blesses the obedience of His children who are being tested. Just to remind you that you're not out there alone. That Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides, also provides blessing as you persevere through the trial. Verses 15 through 19. 
scripture reads, And an angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Abraham was blessed because he obeyed the Lord in the midst of trial. God blesses us as we obey Him in the midst of trial. Now your obedience is because of His Spirit and His Word working in your life. It's all your obedience. It's all of Him, as we said in John 15, uh, 15 verse 5. Without Him, you can do nothing. It's only as you abide in the vine that you can persevere through trial. But here's one blessing that you may not realize that you get every time you persevere through trial. You gain a clearer view of Christ. I have come to know Christ not only by reading the Word, but by experiencing God's trials that He has sent in my life. Persevering through them. Jesus said that Abraham saw his day, saw the Lord Jesus' day and was glad. Where did Abraham see the Lord Jesus? I think it was here in this trial that God put him through. In the ram that was provided. In the blessing that God promised to him. Abraham, somehow or another, looked forward through the millennia and saw the Lord Jesus Christ and was glad. He experienced God's grace and was glad. And then finally, I know the trials are hard, but God tailors them specifically for you, specifically for your needs. God is the Good Shepherd. He deals with each of us differently. One person receives a lesser trial. Another person receives a more prolonged trial. Another person receives a more severe trial. It doesn't mean that the one who is more who is suffering a more severe trial is any less godly than someone who receives a, a, a less severe trial. Abraham, you know, the father of our faith, received a trial that was greater than any of us would want to endure. Those, love, those trials are God's love letters to make us more like Jesus. In conclusion, listen to Charles Spurgeon as he talks about trials. He says, God sends us letters in black-edged envelopes, but they are all love letters. And the blacker the letters look outside, the brighter they are inside. The Lord paints the galleons of His grace with dark colors, and we dream that they bear us evil but they are loaded down to the water's brim with gold and rare and precious things because they are loaded down with His grace. Let's pray together. Father, 
we have the joy in just a few moments of drinking and eating um, from a, a galleon that is filled to the brim with Your grace. And we are not simply speaking of these very common elements that are uh, laid out before us on the communion table. But we are talking about the grace of the Lord Jesus. Father, I pray that as we um, gather around the table, I pray that there would be a spirit of unity among us and a spirit of longing for the grace of the Lord Jesus that uh, we might feast upon Him by faith. I ask this in His name. Amen.